Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Surface. I'm Brian Levinson. I created this podcast because I love finding out from interesting people how they've developed their mindset for performance. So we leverage their story. What happened along the way in their journey that led to them developing who they are today and also find out who they want to become in the future? So we'll talk with all kinds of people that really consider themselves to be performers. So some are in business, some are in sport, uh, some are in theater, and all of these people have something to share, whether it's a tool or a tip or a story that's helped cultivate their mindset. And the idea is that as we go beyond the surface with them, that you'll go beyond the surface with yourself as well. So today I'm really excited to talk with Maggie Lucas. Maggie is a professional basketball player. She plays in the WNBA with the Indiana Fever, and Maggie also had an illustrious career at Penn state maggie's going to share her story so she's going to start with her upbringing and playing basketball at germantown academy where she played with a lot of other division one basketball players at the high school level she also will talk about her experience playing in college and then also playing professionally and one of the key parts of maggie's story is that she's actually torn her acl twice in the last year so she's really facing some adversity, and she's in the thick of it. And she'll talk about how her competitive spirit is helping her uh, deal with it, but also some of the challenges that have come up for her during this time away from the game. One of the things you'll notice about Maggie is she's a super competitor, and she really is inspired to try to have women compete in all different areas of life. So she values her competitive spirit, and she loves that basketball gives her a platform to express herself, to go deep into that competitive spirit and sort of that animalistic mindset that we see in so many different athletes. Maggie's a really thoughtful person. She's conscientious. She's somebody who really thinks about things and has obviously had some more time over the last year to reflect and think about what she values most. And she's truly passionate about the game of basketball. And that certainly will come across in our conversation. So I want to thank Maggie for coming on. And without further ado, I present to you Maggie Lucas. Maggie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. We got connected uh, from a mutual friend. And uh, as soon as I told her about the podcast I was doing, she said, I've got exactly the person who who would love to come on and would be able to share her uh, expertise, her perspective, her story. And so she immediately thought of you. So I'm really excited to have you on uh, the podcast. If you could start, just give me an idea of what your background is, what your upbringing was like as a kid, where you grew up, who you grew up with, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, thanks first off for having me. I'm excited to get into this discussion. But um, I'm from Philadelphia, right outside of Philly, uh, Narberth. I actually, um, sorry, my dog's in the park. I actually uh, grew up pretty close to the same area where Kobe Bryant grew up. My brothers went to the same high school as him. Um, So grew up around a lot of basketball with two older brothers, especially. Uh, Basketball was, you know, part of our family. My dad is like, a basketball fiend. I always say the only person who loves basketball more than I do is my dad. Um, but you know, it's just, it was a fun upbringing, very competitive, uh, definitely toughened me up for, you know, the future that I would go on to, uh, you know, have. So you grew up in in lower Marion, Pennsylvania. Is that where it was? Mm -hmm. And where'd you go to high school? I ended up going to Germantown Academy, uh, private school out in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. And, um, it was a great, it's a, it's a great school for, you know, girls basketball in, in high school in the Philadelphia area. Um, I played with Caroline Doty, who went on to play at Car- to play at UConn. Um, a couple other players, Villanova, DePaul. We, I mean, it's not very likely that you'd play on a high school team where you'd have so many Division One players. And so it was a great situation for me. And then uh, from there, 
Time out before you go further. So I'm familiar with both Lower Marion and Germantown Academy, even though I'm in Washington, D.C. And the first time I heard about Germantown Academy was uh, back when I was in high school and they had Matt Walsh and they had Lee Melchioni and they had these yeah, they had these, they had like four or five guys who went on to play Division One basketball. So I would imagine even since that time, they've had other good programs. But, uh, so I'm familiar with it. So were you good at basketball from a young age? Was, was dad sort of seeing you play and your brothers seeing you play and be like, oh, Maggie can play some ball or, or did basketball come hard to you? Uh, no, I mean, it came pretty naturally. It's something I picked up right away. And, uh, I just always loved doing it. I love being around the game. I love being in the gym. Um, I was always just a huge gym rat. I mean, I wore shorts year-round, to give you an idea. Like, from the time I was probably, like, five years old till high school, I think I got my first pair of actual, like, jeans that I would wear. Because, you know, you just kind of started to grow up a little bit. But I was just a junkie for it. I, I always had to have a ball in my hands. Um, any chance I had chance to shoot or be around the game, you know, I, I just loved it. And I, to this day, that's, that's what drives me is, you know, regardless of whether I'm getting paid to play or not, this is what I would be doing, you know, if I had to have a – a normal job and do all that, I would still be going to the courts afterwards and putting as many hours into it a day as I could. And did you play, did you play other sports growing up? Yeah. I mean, I played a little soccer and a little cross. Um, I did a little track and field in high school, but, uh, nothing really just kept my attention like basketball did. And, you know, whenever I was playing those sports, it was kind of like either I did it to be, to, you know, play with my friends or that sort of thing. But I was always kind of just, you know, would rather be playing basketball. What was it about basketball that, that grabbed your attention? You know what? I really love the skills of it. I love, I just can get so immersed in the skill work of it. Um, to this day, that's my favorite part of it is just getting in the gym and in the lab and just focusing on a certain footwork or that sort of thing. Um, Cause that's always been my strength as a player uh, has just been, you know, the skill side of it. You know, I'm not, I'm, I've never been the best athlete on any of my teams. I've never been the fastest um, but I really like how when you can really, you know, d- d- put yourself into the skills of it, you know, you can still be a great player. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most athletic person in the gym. Uh, but when you're skilled, it can take you really far. And who helped you develop your skills in high school? Were, were your brothers pushing you? It sounds like dad, dad was into basketball. Who were the people that were really pushing you? Um, I mean, me and my dad spent a ton of time in the gym together, um, but playing with my brothers, you know, just always played with boys growing up. I played in boys' leagues and stuff, and so, you know, from a young age, I was put against people who were stronger and faster than me, so I kind of had to find ways uh, to be creative and that sort of thing. But, I mean, my dad, he kind of, you know, when we were younger, he would lead the workouts, but as I started to grow up and kind of, like, you know, study the game, really study the game, um, you know, I started to lead the workouts, you know, he would kind of guide me and lead me, but you know, from a certain point I, I took over and, you know, cause it was my thing and my love. So, you know, I would take over, but I can remember the first like instructional stuff I looked at was, uh, the pistol Pete Maravich videos. My dad had all of them lined up for me and I would come up from school every day and watch them over and over again, then do all the drills. Uh, yeah. As, what was it about pistol Pete that, that caught your attention other than the flash? I mean, it's hard to look past just how creative he was, you know what I mean? And I, I love that style of play, that old school style of play. You know, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Pistol Pete, just how creative they were. And, um, you know, I think it just goes to show you just what skill, how far skill can take you. And so you're, you're on this super team in high school. Were you guys just dominating? And what was your role on that team? 
Yeah, I mean, we were a pretty dominant team around the area, but also the greater Philadelphia area has a lot of, you know, powerhouse teams, you know, Catholic League schools, um, O'Hara, Carroll, Archbishop Wood, now uh, Newman Gretti. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of uh, just culture around this area for girls basketball. Um, but we were a dominant team, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And one of the reasons I decided to go to that school was, you know, so I could be challenged every day at practice and play with, like, you know, me and Caroline Doty would guard each other every day at practice and make each other better. And, you know, it was just, it was a perfect situation. What were you like mentally in high school? Oh, man, I was kind of crazy. Uh, my, uh, I, my coach, he's still kind of, because I've helped out with my, uh, with my high school team. Uh, last couple of years in the off season is she always tells the players she's like yeah Maggie she was a little nuts but that's what, what made her good and uh, she says uh, one time I, I was coming down the court and I had like missed a shot or she called a timeout and she's like Maggie you got to calm down you know you're not going to make every shot and I looked at her and I was like but I should make every shot you know if I'm open I should make every shot so I mean since then I've come a long way mentally but back in high school I was. I was a little bit of a hothead. Perfectionist or hothead? Because I was going to per- yeah. perfectionist, but you said hothead. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would definitely say more, more perfectionist than hothead. But uh, sometimes they get a little too intertwined. But um, yeah, definitely a perfectionist. Um, you know, I've fallen in love with the details. And you know, when you go into the gym and you're able to shoot, you know, when I go into the gym and I'm doing a, a shooting workout, I would say I shoot between ninety and ninety-five percent. So. You know, I don't like there to be a big drop off when I get in the game, especially when I'm open or I take a shot that I practice a lot. So, um, you know, I most pretty much every shot I take in a game is a shot I've practiced, you know, hundreds of thousands of times. So, you know, when you miss or, you know, that kind of thing, you know, that makes you mad. That makes you, you know, frustrated because you've done it, you know, hundreds of millions of times, you know. And was was your role on that team to make open shots? Was it to create? What was your role on the high school team? Um, you know, when I first got there, it was kind of just uh, you know fitting because they had such a strong team right away, um, and I was able to make an impact, you know, score on the ball. Um, and then my sophomore year, my role increased a whole lot because our other star player, Caroline, she went down with an ACL. Um, so I kind of was put into a leadership, you know, leading scorer role a lot quicker probably than I had thought I would. Um, but you know, it kind of, you, it's one of those things, you know, with injuries and I'm learning it now. My injury is, you know, one person goes down, you know, the next person has to be ready to step up. Um, so that, that happened pretty fast for me in high school. And, you know, it was a score, you know, a facilitator, it was, you know, a little bit of everything. So you're a sophomore now and you're, you've got more weight on your shoulders did you handle that well did you get thrown into any sort of leadership or walk us through that a little bit yeah I mean it was tough um it definitely thrown into some sort of leadership but like I said before we did have like you know good senior leadership on that team other division one players um so it wasn't overwhelming at any point but you know different than what I had thought going into that season uh but you know so much changes over the course of each season you know things that you aren't expecting to happen that I think so much of it is just, you know, adjusting and, you know, making those adjustments, whether it's any certain game or throughout the course of a season. So, um, yeah. Walk us through your decision and where you went to college and, and how that transpired and uh, talk to us about the college experience. Um, so my main two schools the whole time were Maryland and Penn State. And um, Maryland had just come off of winning national championship and Penn State had really been struggling for a while. Um, 
they had a new coach, Caprice Washington, and um, you know they'd come off of a bunch of losing seasons. And you know, I went on my fir- my first visit was to Penn State. My first offer was Penn State, and from the second I went there, it just felt so right. And you know, I felt comfortable. I liked you know the distance from home. You know, both both schools. I liked that. You know, my family is very important to me, and uh, I liked that they would be able to come to every home game. And uh, so that, that was that really factored into my decision. But you know, I went to Penn State and I went to Maryland, and they're both both great schools. Um, you know, at the time I felt like there was pressure to go to Maryland because of the national championship, and people were kind of like, you know, Penn State, you don't really know what you're going to get there because they've been struggling so much. Um, but I just really believed in the program. I believed in the school. I loved the school. I loved the culture of it up there. And, um, you know, I made my decision pretty early. It was right after my uh, 10th grade season, 10th grade year, to go to Penn State. And, um, you know, I had no regrets about it. And looking back on it now, I have no regrets. You know, we did some pretty awesome things, won three Big Ten championships, four uh, NCAA tournament appearances, two Sweet 16s. You know, we had a great time up there, me and my teammates. And, you know, I thought we really had a special ride there for a while. And, uh, you know it turned out to be a really good decision and yeah i don't i don't it was awesome what did you study at penn state i studied recreation parks and tourism management all right give me a little more than give me a little more info than that yeah well you know one thing i i've wanted to go into after basketball i've always loved it because it's kind of a family thing uh my dad is in the restaurant business and i couldn't do the restaurant uh the restaurant uh management major because of the um the requirements to work in a restaurant and to work in a hotel while you're up there just because of our schedule it was just too hard so i went into the um recreation it's like kind of has like event planning and management in it um that really factored into kind of like what i'd like to do after basketball and what is that so data's restaurants family restaurants what kind of restaurants are they and uh, uh tell me more about it He's worked in he's worked in a bunch of different places throughout you know for a while. He worked in a for a big group called uh, Star Restaurants that have restaurants in Philadelphia. They have Le Diplomat, and uh, he actually opened Le Diplomat in DC. Um, he was a director there, and I think he was a vice president for that company. And then he now works for a company called OTG Management, and they put in uh, like when you're in airports, you know, like the nicer restaurants you see with the iPads. Yep. That's his whole company there, and he's like the restaurant guy within that company. I know exactly that because I had that idea before they implemented it. I would say, I'm like, we've got these new technology, these iPads. Like, this should replace menus. Like, why do we have menus? And, and, like, I love waiters and waitresses, but I don't always love waiters and waitresses. Sometimes they're, they're not very lovable. Like, and sometimes, like, you know when they never like write down your order and they're always like, Oh, I got it in my head. I'm like, no, please write it down. I don't want you to screw up my meal. Uh, and you don't need to show me that you have a good memory. I I believe you do. So I've always, I like that concept. So tell your dad, I I like, I like that idea. And I certainly can plug the diplomat in DC. It's a great restaurant. It's very popular. Uh, and the star restaurants uh, in Philadelphia, anyone that's been in Philly and knows about them. So, uh, what would you want to do if you, if you weren't playing basketball within the restaurant? industry um I, I mean honestly i would like to own one day like that that would be the, the goal afterwards own something with my dad or my brother also works in the restaurants out in restaurants out in california and we've all kind of thought maybe one day a family thing would be pretty fun and you know like i said before we're really close so you know we'd like to do something together eventually and you know 
get back together on that. And how are you similar to your brother? How are you similar to your mom, your dad, your other brother? Like, walk yeah. me walk me through the personalities in the family. Um, so my, you know, the great thing about I think with my parents is I've always said this is there's such a great balance between the two of them because my dad is so competitive and he, you know, was the basketball guy coming up and. Uh, but my mom literally does not have a competitive bone in her body. Like, you know, no matter what, you know, she just is, she's perfect. I mean, it's just such a great balance between the two of them. And so that's, that was great upbringing for me. And then brothers, um, they're actually, they both live out in San Diego. And it's funny because they're really good friends. They live about a block from each other. And, uh, but they couldn't be more different. My middle brother is in finance. Uh, went to ASU. Uh, my oldest brother is like a hardcore surfer, moved out to California, works in restaurants. It's like, you know, kind of more of the free spirit. Um, but the two of them, I mean, we're all just very competitive. Um, we've just coming up together, I think, just because we were pretty close in age. We're all two years apart. So my oldest brother is four years older than me. My middle brother is two years older. So, you know, I think just always having that competitiveness between us, you know, it helped us in each one of our, you know, paths that we took. Um, my parents say that I'm more like my oldest brother, Pete, who's the surfer, which is funny because we're very, I, I still think we're very different, but I think they just think like our mannerisms and stuff and the way we are. But uh, I would say Ben is a little bit more competitive. So I think that's where I'm more, more like him. That was going to be my follow-up question. Are you more like mom or dad? But I think you're giving me a little insight into where you lean on that. Yeah, I think it's funny. I am like my dad, but also, like, you know, when you take me away from the basketball court, I think I have a lot of similarities to my mom. So so once you get between the lines, you're out for blood, but off the, off the court, maybe you're more happy-go-lucky and um, in that sense? Yeah, off the court, I'm just a very, um, you know, I'm a homebody. I like to be, you know, at home with my family, I love my dogs and you know, I think that's how my mom is. You know, she was a stay-at-home mom when we were uh, growing up, and just like that closeness and being in you know, a little comfort zone. You know, it's I get that from her. Do you transform when you get on the court? Like, because uh, you you sort of, or maybe I kind of put this put these words into your mouth. Um, but do you shift the type of player you are compared to who you are off the court? Like, is there a conscious decision to transform, or are you, or, or not really? No, um, I mean, part of it is because I've really put, you know, my whole life into this, into basketball, and to, you know, I, I looked at some of your questions that you, that Carolina had sent me, and, um, you know, the preparation aspect of it, and I'm a huge preparer, I mean, every aspect of my life, whether it's my diet, my rest, you know, everything I have to do, you know, I feel like I commit the majority of that to you know, the preparation that goes into being the best basketball player I can be. Um, and so I, I don't really think there's a shift because I think I focus a lot of my time and my life on, you know, that aspect of it. And, you know, preparation has always been huge for me. Uh, are you neurotic? Are you neurotic? Um, yeah. I mean, I think people, I think people who know me best would say I'm neurotic. Neurotic about my diet, neurotic about yeah. The, my health, neurotic about making the shot, snapping the wrist, all of those details. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think as I've gotten older and, you know, I've put in the time, um, I, I have a lot of faith in the 
in the preparation that I've done. Um, so that allows me to relax a little bit more because I know I've done the work and, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, when you do the work, the rest will just take care of itself. And, uh, you know, I think, yeah, that's definitely how I feel. Pull on the word faith for me a little bit because uh, there's uh, we're doing this over over FaceTime, so there's a couple of things that I can only see. I only got like the snapshot of yeah. what you look like and how you're presented, but there's two things of note that I have to tug on a little bit. One is you're wearing a cross, a necklace, um, and then two, there's a tattoo that's going up your left forearm. So can you just give me a little more info on the two of those? Uh, yeah, I mean... I would not say at all I'm like the most religious person in the world. I'm much more spiritual than I am religious. Um, this is from the Bible, though, uh, for when I am weak and I'm strong. Um, you know, over the last, you know, year and a half now, after, you know, I've gone through, I've gone through two ACLs now in a year. And, um, you know, I've drawn a lot from things I've read, um, you know, to, you know, get strength from because there have been some hard, lonely days this last, you know, year, um, I've been a part of a team uh, my whole life, and so going through this, you know, this injury the last couple, this last year, and it, it'll be two years by the time I play again. Um, you know, I read a lot. Um, you know, I, I just try and draw strength from these things that I read. And I read this verse in the Bible, and it just, you know, swept me up. And it just felt, you know, I, I don't look at the Bible as everything I read out of there is hundred percent truth, but I think that comes with anything. You know, what I mean, anything you read. Um, but I read this passage and it just hit me so hard and it, you know, something that I connected with a ton. And, uh, you know, I loved, I loved it so much. I wanted to tattoo it and remind myself of it every day. And, you know, I have other, you know, things I, I look at or I read every day. I, the day after, two days after my second injury, you know, I drove back from Indiana. My dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home, uh, you know, and that was a hard day. And I got home that day and, you know, I went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning. I spray painted my wall, no quitting me. <laughs> yeah. And so every morning it's corny and, you know, it's one of those things. But when I wake up every morning, it's the first thing I see. And on those days when it's, you know, a little harder, a little lonelier, because I'm not going to practice with the team. You know, I'm not getting up and going on an away trip. I'm just going to the gym and rehabbing, you know. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. So you mentioned you're not necessarily religious, but you're a person of, of spirituality. How do you look at spirituality? How, what, what framework do you look at that from? Um, you know, I think that's kind of a little complicated just to go into, but, um, you know, I have faith when I talk about my faith, I, I think about, like I said, things that I've given to the world or things, you know, that I've put into myself to, you know, be the best person I can be. Um, and, you know, I just, I've learned through this last, uh, year and a half is, you know, you can give it 100 million percent of your effort and all that. And, you know, sometimes it just, it really just doesn't play out the way you thought it was going to. And, uh, but I still have this trust and belief that, you know, things will work out. Um, doesn't necessarily come from a higher being or anything. It's just optimism. You're, you're optimistic. I feel like there's like, and again, this sounds corny, but like, you know, I've been given an option every day. It's like, I can sit and wallow and, you know, pity and feel sorry for myself about, you know, the situation I'm in. But 
it's not that bad. I still get to wake up and I still get to fight for what I want. And, um, you know, to me, that's, that's a part of this, that's a part of the journey. And that's a part of like, you know, being a professional athlete and, you know, sometimes the cross we have to bear because, you know, we do get to do something that's so awesome, you know, playing a sport for a living. And, you know, like I said before, it's what I'd be doing anyways. So, you know, I feel really lucky in a lot of ways. I feel like I've been tested a lot. Um, but you know, another thing right after my injury was somebody asked me, you know, what's it worth to you? And it's worth everything. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll put everything I have into this and, you know, get knocked down a million times and you just got to keep fighting back there are a couple of things that i want to highlight number one you're so grateful like there's such a level of gratitude in you and i think people have to think that gratitude is linked to complacency when actually it works against complacency uh when you're grateful to be able to do something you're going to work like hell to make sure you get to keep doing it um so i always like look look for athletes that are grateful because I think if you look for athletes that are grateful, they're usually the ones that have the mindset that helps them perform up to their standards and potential. Um, and then the second thing that I want to just pull on is you are passionate about the process. Um, and so you mentioned earlier, like, I love the preparation. I love the details. Like that's what you loved in high school was the attention to detail, the skill development, the acquisition of information. And so a lot of people, so I've worked for an NBA team at the combine and I want to find out about your process to ending up in Indiana as well. But one of the things I look for when I interview players at the combine is they almost all say that they're passionate about basketball, but then I ask them why, why are they passionate about basketball? And the answers there really are varied. So what is it that you're passionate about when it comes to basketball? Um, you know, I think it was always a really awesome outlet for me to be competitive and it, for, for it to be okay for me to be competitive because, you know, it's still, there's still like a lot of, uh, you know, it's hard to be like a very competitive female in this world. You know, it's looked at, you know, sometimes negative light and not even sometimes, a lot of times it's looked at as like, you know, you're just like, I don't know, you're an outlier or something like that. And, um, it needs to be controlled, that sort of thing. So for me, it was like, you know, this is a, this is an arena where I can like hundred percent just be myself. And like, I don't have to be apologetic for it. It's appreciated. And so that was something that I always really loved about it from the get go. It was just, I didn't feel like it mattered you know, it didn't, it, my competitiveness was appreciated instead of, you know, thought of as like a little too much or a little too fiery or that sort of thing. I love the word that you use as outlier. Uh, first of all, there's a Malcolm Gladwell book called outliers. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, like I love the idea that like, yeah, owning my outlierism, like owning it. Like, yeah, no, I like being different. Like I'm cool. And is there any purpose to it as far as inspiring other women to also be outliers? Uh, Is that, do do those dots connect for you or how do you look at that? Yeah. And I mean, you know, one thing, like I said earlier, I've been helping with um, my high school team and I've been training girls around the area too. Um, You know, I do think it's, this is an opportunity here where I'm home again, you know, I'm not what I was planning on, but it is what it is. Um, But I get to interact with, you know, high school age girls and, you know, I really like to challenge them to, to compete and whether it's um, compete against each other, uh, compete against themselves throughout a workout. Um, you know, I think that's that's a really important for pe- thing for especially females to learn. Um, 
you know, I think so much, so many times we get, and it's not male, female, we get caught up in a comfort zone. And I think when you're challenged and when you're at your most competitive, that's where you really get pulled out of it. And when I think of that, I think of actually one of my teammates from college, Alex Bentley. She plays uh, in the WNBA um, for the Connecticut Sun. And I remember me and her had some of the most competitive, just whether we were playing pickup, we were in the weight room, we challenged each other so much. And I thought it brought out the best in us, which brought out the best in our teammates and, you know, allowed us to go on to win championships. And, you know, she's somebody I always, you know, talk about when I talk to my, my the girls I coach or train is, you know, she is just as competitive as me. And, you know, that's good. We made each other feel super uncomfortable. We probably made our teammates feel pretty uncomfortable sometimes because of our arguments, but it made us all better. And it, you know, now she's an all-star in the WNBA. I'm not saying I had really anything to do with that. Her competitiveness took her there. Um, but I always think of her and just that fire and just pushing yourself is sometimes you find somebody who's so much like you and that, that really, that can push you to, to, you know, greater heights. Do you have a clear definition of competition or competitiveness? Man, that's hard. I think it's more of a feeling for me. You know, when I, when I feel myself start to get competitive, I'm like, uh Oh, like here we go. But I mean, for me, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a fire. I mean, it's something that is just, you know, in you, you can feel it when, you know, you start to feel a situation where you're like, all right, here we go. It's time to compete. And, um, it's hard to define for me. I don't know if I can really put it into words. Yeah. And is it something that you have in everything that you do? Or like we sort of talked about earlier, like, are you, if you're playing checkers, are you going to get back into competing? If you are like, do you shut it off? Do you turn it on? Like, how do, how do you look at it that way? I don't think I've ever really been able to, to shut it off ever. I was playing uh, this like spike ball game on the beach the other day with my little neighbors. They're seven and nine. And I'm like spiking it. Up and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. Like I need to reel it in a little bit, <laughs> but I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I think it comes with everything when you're just a, well, for me, I, I have trouble shutting it off. You know? So one of the things I always, I work with a lot of different teams and organizations and, I always say competitiveness has to be a foundation or a baseline. Like mm-hmm. if you don't have that as an organization or you don't have players that are competitive, good luck with everything else. Um, so I think that always has to be a starting point. And yeah. I think the best teams are the most competitive. They're competitive with each other and then they're competitive with whoever their opponent is and they're competitive with themselves. Um, yeah. I want to go back to that moment though in high school where your coach sort of said, Hey, you don't have, you're not going to make every shot. Uh, and you sort of are like, yeah, but I should. Um, you, so we talked about the mindset for preparation a lot. And, and it sounds like you have that, like that is your calling card. No one's going to really outwork you, out prepare you. Like you have gotten to where you are in part because you prepare your ass off. Yeah. Does that ever hinder you when it comes time to performing, performing? Does it ever hold you back? That sort of, uh, I'm going to go back to the neuroticism, uh, the, the sort of obsessiveness and neuroticism. Does that ever hold you back when you're performing? Yeah, and I think it's so true, uh, you know, stuff, but our biggest strengths can also be our biggest weaknesses. And, you know, when I got to college and I, I had to really learn how to scale it back. And, you know, being a gym rat is a good thing and it can also be a bad thing. You really, get, as you get older too, you got to learn how to, you know, scale back and make sure you're getting quality over quantity. And, you know, that's something that I had to learn when I got to college because I was overdoing it and I was tired of being there's so many responsibilities when you first get there and you're like, you're shocked. And so 
you know, I had to scale it back and figure out, you know, okay, what's going to work for me now at this level? And it was the same thing in the WNBA because, you know, when I got there, it was like for the first time I wasn't having immediate success like I had in um, like I had in uh, high school and college where the transition was pretty easy for me. And so, you know, that was a hard thing for me. And, you know, one thing I look back on now, especially being injured, is I was way too hard on myself when I first got to the WNBA the first year or two. And it was, um, you know, I needed to give my, be a little bit more patient with myself. And I look, and being out right now, it's like, I don't think I took, I ever took anything for granted, but I don't, I think I kept myself from enjoying it to the most I could have those first two years because I was just so just dead set on it happening so quickly that I wouldn't accept that sometimes, you know, you get to a certain level and it may take a little longer for you to experience the kind of success that you want. And then I went, I actually took after my second year in the WBA, I took that winter off from overseas and I trained and I got myself ready for the next WBA season because I wanted to be performing at a higher level, a level that I was happier with. And uh, I felt a little worn down from going back to back to back seasons. Um, and I got back, and I was playing some of the best basketball I had in the WNBA when I first got back for that third season, and then I got hurt. And so, you know, that's what I mean when I look back on those first two seasons, and, you know, I think I just was too hard on myself. I, You know, I should have enjoyed the process of it more, something that I do love so much, you know, I was getting frustrated with. And so, you know, I think that's kind of somewhere where, it, you know, it hurt me a little bit, but, you know, once I got that taste of feeling that success, you know, and then going through the injuries, but I know I can get back to that. A couple of thoughts uh, to unpack there. Number one, patience alone is a bad thing. Just like persistence alone is a bad thing. But when you combine patience with persistence, man, that's a beautiful thing. So if we're patiently persistent, uh, we're to keep knocking on the door, finding ways, being persistent, being gritty, whatever you want to call it to find another way. So I think you're sort of at the point now where you're reflecting and you're like, man, maybe I could have had some more patience, but still had my persistence. Um, and and then the, the question I had was, uh, people don't realize what female professional basketball players are actually doing uh, and what they are doing as far as going from the WNBA and then going overseas to play. Um, Can you just paint that picture for people? Because I think a lot of people are ignorant to how hard it is and the work that goes into really playing two pretty full seasons. Um, Talk about that. I mean, for most, you know, WNBA players, they're playing – 11, 11 and a half months out of the year. I mean, they, we play throughout the WNBA season, which goes from about April to, if you go to the playoffs and go far, October, and you'll sign a contract for overseas in the middle of that season. And um, usually in your contract, it stipulates, okay, I have seven days in between whenever my WNBA season ends when I'm booked on a flight to report to wherever I'm playing overseas. And a lot of to then to get back from overseas, and if you're in Euro League or Euro Cup and you're going far in the playoffs, you may get back two days into training camp, and you've all of a sudden played a year straight with maybe seven days off, and you know it's it's a grind. And I look at players like Diana Taurasi, who has literally done that her entire career, and. I don't think people quite understand just how amazing that is for a player who's now, I think she's 36 or 37, 
and I think she's only taken maybe one year off from the WNBA within that time, and she's been very lucky, I think, too, injury-wise, but the grind of that and just, like, I think it speaks volumes to her passion and just, like, to be able to keep grinding through that and still play at such an amazingly high level. Um, But I also think, you know, I look at, you know, where I was when I felt like I needed a year to just, I felt like I needed to get back in the weight room, that kind of thing. I think it can be beneficial for players to take a year here, like one of those seasons off here and there, maybe the overseas season if they're playing the WNBA. But then it comes into usually overseas we get paid more than we do in the WNBA. So it's, you know, it's a hard balance and it's a grind. And I think it just says so much about female basketball players because we grind year round and, you know, it's, it is a grind. It's crazy. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing I, I, I was just thinking that I would bring up with you is really this notion that your mindset for preparation should be different than your mindset for performance. So the neuroticism or the perfectionism that you have when you're preparing, I actually think is good. Uh, I think you have to have that attention to detail. I think you have to make sure that you're doing it right. Otherwise, you have habits that you're doing over and over again, and you're building these bad habits, and that's when you run into trouble. But that you also have to learn to shift into the performance mind. And the performance mind is swagger, adaptable, uh, malleable, uh, yeah. confident, narcissistic, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I would think as a WNBA player, also playing overseas, you have so many moments to get into that performance mindset because you're constantly performing. But it sounds like what you also felt was lacking was the ability to get into the weight room, the ability to develop my skills. Because if you're just going, you don't have the time to really, hey, I'm going to try a new uh, step back jumper or try a new post move or try a new, uh, you know, uh, ball handling uh, drill. So the ability to work on your mindset for preparation combined with a mindset for performance doesn't always get to occur for professional female bas- uh, professional female basketball players. Uh, whereas you look at NBA guys, like they will, most of them be working from June to, you know, even September or um, definitely August and they go and they work on their skills and they get, get in the weight room and they use that time or they go to Greece and go on vacation for two weeks. But uh, the ability to A, rest and recharge and B, now I'm going to work on my craft a little bit. It sounds like isn't there for you guys. So what are the things that you can do uh, during your free time to make sure you're developing and evolving uh, as a basketball player? Um, I mean, it's, I think, from the, what I've been around, especially being around somebody like Tamika Catchings in uh, Indiana is, you know, it's still very possible, but she was definitely somebody who took time off um, throughout her career. She would, you know, maybe not go overseas until, I think, what would she do? I think she would wait until after Christmas and go over, like, the last couple months of the overseas season. Um so, I mean, it, it depends on how you play it. I mean, you can still develop your skills within a season, but it's just harder. I mean, you can't go into a weight room and crush it while you're in season. It just doesn't work. You're going to be off then in your game. Um, one person I think about who actually only plays in the WNBA, uh, she's my teammate in Indiana, and now she plays for Atlanta, is uh, Lasia Clarendon. And I think her game has improved so much year to year. So I think that kind of speaks to, um, you know, taking that time and getting in the lab and being able to improve. But, you know, another thing I always say about what 
like female WNBA like WNBA players have to do, especially your rookie season, is people I don't think realize too. Our the NCAA season ends. The draft is two weeks later, and you're on a plane like the next day. It's crazy. He's coming out for the men's side, have an entire summer where they can play summer league. You know, they get they have all that time to prepare. It's like we have like two and a half, three weeks maybe between the time you're graduating from college, get coming out of the NCAA tournament, and then you're going to training camp for the first time and living out of a hotel for a couple weeks. Yeah, you, you talked about that being the hardest transition from a basketball standpoint, that you had never, you know, struggled before. You were high school stud and then college stud, and, and now it's like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm a stud on top, of the, you know, on top of the world, and now you're knocked back down. Did you do anything from a mental standpoint to handle that transition as a rookie? Uh, and, and that actually leads to another question, which is, are there any mental skills that you use? Like, I love that you spray paint the room, no quit, uh, that you've got your tattoo as a reminder. Are there any other mental skills that you utilize and leverage? And I also want to specifically know about the transition from college to pro. Yeah, I mean, let's think. So coming out of, well, I can kind of tell you, I think one like story I can kind of just share from, you know, what I went through was um, I was actually drafted by Phoenix and I went to training camp and I was there. I was actually traded on the last day of camp uh, to Indiana. But one thing I can share is, you know, you go to camp, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes you're brought there and there may never have really been a place because, you know, they bring a certain number of people in the camp and, you know, based on vets and people they're bringing back, there can be only so many spots. And no matter how good sometimes you do do at camp, you know, there just may not be a spot. And, you know, I kind of figured out when I got to Phoenix that there really wasn't an open spot at the shooting guard role. Um, but I kind of had the mentality. I was like, well, let me just take it a day at a time. Let me get to the uh, preseason tournament and... Hopefully I'll get some minutes and, you know, perform well enough that maybe if there's not a spot here in Phoenix that somebody else will see me and a spot will open somewhere else. And that actually is exactly what ended up happening for me um, was I played well in the uh, preseason tournament and was able to get picked up by another team, which was, you know, great. But, you know, another thing is talk to your vets. There's usually, you know, a vet or somebody who will, you know, you know be somebody you can kind of like, get their experience from and I always talk to uh Tamika a lot I was lucky enough to sit next to her in the locker room so from day one I you know I just talked to her and you know leaned on her for advice and she was such you know a hard worker too so we really connected on that and you know that's somebody who has always been there for me through you know the tough times for sure and since you went to Penn State, I had somebody else on the podcast previously who ran track and field at Penn State, and then she actually ended up playing professional basketball overseas, and now she's a college basketball coach. Um, but uh, she talked about David Eukelson. Um, did you interact with Uke at all when you were at Penn State? I never really got the chance to sit down with Uke. He was always a friendly face to see around campus, but we, I never actually sat down with Uke. Got it. <laughs> and, and so that leads me to another question, which is talk about the two ACLs. So I, full disclosure, I tore my ACL playing ball, uh, two and a half years ago. Um, so I can feel half of your pain. Um, and honestly, like I had a really tough rehab. My knee is still not 
back to where I thought it was going to be. I went and played basketball a couple of weeks ago and returned. And that was like a big deal. Like in my Wednesday night game, I felt like I was, you know, returning back to the court and, uh, it got a little emotional. Um, but I, I have a hard time uh, putting myself in your shoes because the one thing that I think people don't understand about torn ACL is, first of all, it freaking hurts after surgery. Like people, people are like, "Oh, you're you're healthy again now," and they have no idea of that first two weeks, the pain and how how debil- discomfort and debilitation and how reliant you are on on other people to do everything. Like I remember hopping to the shower and like. There, you just I watched like all of Friday Night Lights on Netflix and all of uh, Breaking Bad on Netflix. Like you just don't do anything, yeah. uh, and, and so so one like the pain and that process. Um, and I just want to try to understand what that was like to go through it again. Um, and for me, it's different because I was still able to then go do my job. You know, two weeks later, uh, whereas. For you, you're not able to do your job. So walk us through the emotions of having it happen once and then having it happen again and and where you're at today. Yeah. Um, so the first time, uh, you know, I think one thing, everybody who's had a, a you know, serious injury, um, which I would consider, you know, nine months to a year, you know, anything over that, um, you know, it's the timing of it can never be worse. You know what I mean? And for me, it was the first time I felt like I was, I was really clicking in the WBA. I felt like everything, like I felt like myself, like my Penn State self again, confidence. I didn't care how much I played. I knew I would come in and make an impact. You know, I was had like my swagger on the court again. And I felt great. And, you know, so to go down after getting this taste of just like feeling so comfortable, that was really, really hard. And I kind of like last summer I was out in Indiana going through the whole process of it and um, I kind of gave myself until surgery day, which, you know, you got to kind of work up your strength before you have surgery. And I was like, all right, I'm going to allow myself to be down in the dumps, but I still got to attack this prehab before the surgery. And then I said, you know, all right, we're at ground zero. Here we go. Like, I just got to move forward now because any kind of negativity is going to, you know, slow down my rehab. And, you know, so I felt good throughout rehab. I, I was positive. I you know, I feel like I attacked it. I focused on my mental side of things. And when I couldn't play, I watched game film and, you know, I handled it. I felt like I handled it like a champ. And then, um, I was back in Indiana. I had gone back early and was working out, uh, with our, who was the new coach this year is Pope Chapman and things were going great. Like I felt awesome. I felt, it felt so good to be back on the court with a coach and just working towards, you know, I was back. Some of my teammates were there and Natalie Chama was there and, uh, you know, I was just, it felt so good and I felt just so happy to be back on the court and so excited and so, you know, I just felt so excited. I just, I pictured that first game, you know, stepping back on the court every night. I just thought about it. I was like, this is just going to be so great to step back out on the court. And, and then one morning I was going up for a layup when I was playing one-on-one and I landed and my, I felt my knee hyperextend and I just knew it again. I was just like, you know, I'm laying on the floor and I'm like, Oh my God, like, I cannot believe this is happening. Like I, I did everything right. You know what I mean? And there was definitely a time of just, you know, that why me, like, why is this happening to me? I, I feel like I've done everything right. I, I don't understand why this is happening to me. And I don't know when it's, it clicked for me this time around. I've had one surgery. I had to have a bone graft surgery and a meniscus repair, and I still have to have my ACL for surgery in August. 
Um, so it'll be two surgeries this time around. Um, but I just feel like I'm still, I'm still able to chase my dream and that's, what's most important to me. If you take that away from me, like, you know, that's another thing, but I am still in the game. I'm still going to get back. I know I will. And, you know, to me, like you talked about just before, it's talking about being grateful is I can deal with that. I can work with that. You know, if I'm, if there's still a chance, I can work with that and I can wake up and I can attack my day every day. So that's that's where I'm at right now. And, um, well, it's not, not easy to accept. And I still am having some, I still can't watch the WBA right now. It's still a little too, um, too hard right now. Uh, but I can still wake up and I can still give my 1 million percent effort to, you know, this next part of my journey and this next part of the process to getting to where I need to be. And, uh, you know, it's taking longer than I thought to get back, but it'll all be worth it. And I know it will. Are you desperate to get back or inspired to get back? I would say a little bit of both. Um, I'm desperate to play again. I miss it like crazy. You know, there's no other feeling like, you know, just playing in front of a crowd with your, you know, with your teammates and, you know, just being a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, so I, I miss playing basketball, you know, terribly. Um, that's when one of the hardest things is just I miss it. You know, I love it so much and I miss it. And not being able to physically do it at a time is, you know, that definitely leaves a hole. Um, but I'm inspired. I can get through this and, you know. I think it'll just, it'll make the journey that much sweeter. You know, I think some of the things I've always, I've always thought is, you know, those moments where you're, you know, at the, you know, at the mountaintop where you're feeling your best, you know, you don't feel that great if you haven't been through the struggle of it. You know what I mean? You can compare, you know, the feeling of feeling so low. So when you get to that mountaintop and you feel so, you know, great at that top, it's because you've experienced those lows. Uh, that it feels so great. You know, I think if you've just experienced success, 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 yeah, that's got to be awesome. But you have no, you know, no real low to compare it to where you're like, this is all, you know, this was all leading up to this. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, uh, Like I said, I I toured once. So uh, you give me inspiration to keep at it and keep going forward. Because, you know, for, for me, like, I think it's different in the sense that, as I said, I don't have to do it, um, but I want to. So if I want to do something, keep going, keep working at it. And um, so I, I'm impressed by your attitude about it, and um, it's inspirational. So I appreciate you sharing it. Um, what I want to end with are what I call preferences. So you're going to have to pick one of these and only one. So it's it's kind of a unfair loaded situation. Um, but that's why I like doing it. Cause I like to torture people and it's fun. Um, so do you prefer preparation or performance? Performance. I'm shocked by that answer. Would you have answered it that way 10 years ago? Um, I don't think so because you know, I don't, I, I, if you've ever seen, like, see me play, I enjoy, I enjoy the stage of, of playing in front of people. And, you know, I just love that. Are you, do you like public speaking? Do you like putting yourself out there and being on stage? Is that something that's common throughout your life or is it different? Yeah. yeah it's something I've, 
I've done well at. I'm told I've done well at. I mean, it's something that makes me really nervous and uncomfortable leading up to it. But afterwards, it's like just such an adrenaline rush. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, are, are you more of a yes, ma'am person or a why person? I would say more of a yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you prefer a system or autonomy? A system. Would you rather cheat and win or lose while being honest? Cheat and win. I was. You smiled right before you said it, and I saw you like you did what. I, so what's fascinating about this, Maggie, is athletes. Almost always say cheat and win. Uh, when I interview non-athletes, they look at me like I'm crazy to ask that question. And what I saw in that smile, and you're, you're even like laughing right now, is like, I know what the answer to that question is, but am I supposed to say lose while being honest? And it speaks to your competitiveness, right? Like you will do whatever it takes to win. It's funny because my trainer, like he'll, he always... He's a really good. He's really good at finding ways for me to compete throughout my workouts and stuff. And it, it made me laugh and smile because it made me think of that. Because he's always goes, "If there's a way to cheat, you'll find it." <laughs> so as long as you're still getting to where you want to go, right? Like, and as long as I'm still beating what I did before. Yeah, and I think I think athletes think of it like a soccer player thinks about it. Like, no, if I can tuck on the guy's jersey a little bit and the ref doesn't see it. Yeah. That's part of it. But I think non-athletes look at cheating as like steroids or they look at it as like, um, you know, stealing. And uh, so it's one of the delineations. I'm telling you when I ask this question, like athletes, they look at me and they're like, "Eh, if I can get away with it, I'm in. Uh, And just that dynamic's interesting to me. Uh, Do you prefer perfection or progression? Yeah, and that's like your truth coming out, right? Like, yeah. you, you know, you, that's sort of like, look, the greatest shooter that I can think of in the NBA history was Ray Allen, who was obsessive about the detail and getting it right. Um, so I, it makes sense to me. Uh, would you prefer to be the most valuable player or the most improved player? Um, I think my answer would have cha- would change from one stage to another. And, um, you know, I think maybe... When I was a little younger, probably most valuable always. Um, but at this point where I'm at right now, I'd like, you know, most improved. But I think that most outstanding is what I would like to be again. Sure. So in your present state, it's most improved. But you would like to be at a place where you're the most valuable. Yeah. That makes sense. Resume or eulogy? Sorry? Resume or eulogy? Eulogy. Do you prefer your generation or your parents' generation? Probably my parents' generation. Why? Um, I don't know. I've, I've always just, I've, you know, connected with, I, my, we have a really good close neighborhood and I've grown up around like a lot of people who I consider like second moms and dads and they're people that I've just always connected with and you know, shared a lot of similarities. So that's, that's probably why. Evaluations or descriptions? Evaluations. Positive or negative feedback? Negative. I know what I do well. 
So you, you want the, hey, tell me what I'm doing wrong and I'm going to fix it and I'm going to get better. Yeah. Culture or talent? Culture. Have you been on teams that the culture is a massive uh, indicator of success? So you felt that you've been a part of that. Yeah. Momentum or the moment? The moment. Pumped up or calmed down? Pumped up. Grit or grind? Grit. And I'm curious about that one because you mentioned the word grind throughout as you talked about the professional basketball experience. Because I'm reading this book right now on grit. So that may be just kind of like a little bit more on my head. Um, But... I think it's both, but I know I'm not allowed to answer that. How do you separate the two? Um, grit and grind. Uh, I would say grit is a little bit more innate within you than grind, I guess. Are you reading the book Grit by Angela Duckworth? Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Who's not far away from you at University of Pennsylvania. So you can go knock on her door and ask her more information. Be like, hey, you see me? Two torn ACLs. I'm pretty gritty, mother effer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did the grit scale. There you go. Uh, Liked or respected? Uh, Respected. Do you prefer transformational leadership or transactional leadership? Can you give me, I've heard both, but I'm trying to, I don't remember the definitions. So transformational is I want to help you develop as a human and transform or transactional, like, hey, do your job. Like this is a transaction. Uh, Transformational. Love winning or hate losing? Hate losing. Risk taker or rule follower? I'm a rule follower. Would you rather be a starter on a losing team or a towel waver on a winning team? Uh, probably a loser on a... I'd rather play. Oh, so you'd rather be a starter on a losing team? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you want to compete. Yeah, I want to play. I mean, I've been both, you know. That's one thing I always tell... I share with people. It's like I haven't just... like I've, You know, I told you about my journey and everything. Is I've been the cheerleader on the bench and I've been, you know the star on the court and while I always would rather be a part of a winning team I playing wins out for me more than anything do you have it in your head that if you're playing you're going to figure out a way to win is that part of the way that that answer works yeah I mean I think you know I think you know if you're a certain kind of person you think you know if you're on the court you're going to help win I mean you'd be a better better uh contributor to the team on the court than you would be on the bench but I think it's also important to you know if that's not the decision of the coach you know at the time then you have to step up and be that cheerleader on the bench sure but I only gave you one option so you had to go towards one yeah. <laughs> uh, do you prefer balance or specific obsession uh, specific obsession and that's basketball for you mm. and it's it's interesting because a lot of athletes don't have the option um, like you said, you, you guys, it sounds like you have like five days off a year. If you're doing it, uh, the, the right way, if you're like really successful, um, you make it to the highest level and you get a couple days off. Um, you better be obsessed with it. Uh, fear of failure or fearlessness. Um, fear of failure. You, are you, is that real for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's something I uh, I talked about a lot with my coach in college was, which one person, like she's one person who always, you know, talked to me about embracing the process instead of focusing on the outcome of how things will come out. I was just so, so focused on wanting, you know, that championship at the end of the season that sometimes it's like, trust the, you know, and that's, that's kind of where I started to fall in love with the process was at Penn State. You know, I've always been a process person, but not worrying so much about the outcome. But at the same time, I still have that fear of failure for sure. Do you prefer to disassociate from pressure or embrace it? Embrace it. And do you prefer your head or your gut? My gut. You like to trust your instincts. Awesome. So those are the preferences. Um, and I want to thank you for, for coming on, giving your time. Uh, as I said earlier, like the fact that you're in this right now, I actually think is the best time for me to, to chat with you. Um, and because I love talking to people that are in it, uh, a, cu- a couple of weeks ago, I, I had on this podcast, a woman who, uh, was at the Boston marathon when the bombs went off and she, she lost her leg. And, uh, she, uh, was a ballroom dancer, uh, professional dancer. And, uh, she lost her leg, which her foot was like, her leg and her foot was like her livelihood. And this last year, she just ran the Boston Marathon with a prosthetic. Um, so I like talking to badass women. And I think, I think you are a badass woman. Uh, and I think a lot of people, if they were in your shoes, would say, you know what? Second ACL, the God's inching me or whoever is telling me this isn't supposed to be, but instead you're diving deep into books. You're trying to find ways to get better and improve. And, uh, I think that's just inspiring. So I appreciate you sharing your story and, uh, I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of different people who are going through whatever it is they might be going through. Um, I, I want to give you the last word. Uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter or Instagram or find out more about you and your, your journey and your story, how can they find you and where can they do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Maggie Lucas 33. Um, I'm going to be sharing a whole lot about my recovery process. Uh, at first I was shying away from it cause I kind of just wanted to crawl under a rock, but you know, now that I'm embracing it, you know, one of the benefits of it is I think I am able to provide some inspiration and some, you know, just positivity to people who are going through an injury and, you know, if you stick with it, I truly believe and have faith that, you know, everything will work out the way it's supposed to in the end. And, you know, I hate the one thing I never want to say is everything happens for a reason, because I think, you know, things just kind of come at you as they do. And you just got to take it and move forward and, you know, do it to your best of your ability. And, you know, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do through this next year. Uh, take it as it comes and uh, just be be the best I can be every day and challenge myself and compete whether I'm on the court or not. Awesome, Maggie. Once again, I appreciate you sharing your story uh, and sharing the ups and downs. And thank you so much for coming on. <laughs>